Hey, movie lovers, welcome back to another Anatomy of Movie here on Popcorn Talk. So you want to be a Sicario? Well, let's talk. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Today on Anatomy, we are talking Sicario, Day of the Soldado, as it is here titled in the United States. Takes on other forms. Sicario 2, you can call it, or Sicario 2 Soldado. <laughs> Either way, it's the same movie. Dimitri Panos is here. Hey, hey Phil, welcome. Yes, and indeed. hello, movie fans. I'm Phil Svitek. Missing in action today is Marissa Serafini, much like Emily Blunt from the first movie. <laughs> what? I, that was awesome. That was uh, good. Like how you tied it in. Absolutely. Uh, this is the follow-up. Apart from our two main characters, not a lot of things remain the same in the sequel. I know. Uh, if you want to kind of call it that. It's more of a... They, they've been quite open about it. It's an anthology. But before we get into any of that, first we must welcome you, the listener, the viewer. We appreciate you. And a couple welcome. things to note. Uh, we are spoiler-filled. We assume that you've seen the movie, so... Now's your chance to tune out uh, before we get into all of that. Secondly, if you want to follow along with our rundown, by all means, there's a PDF in the description box. You just click it. You follow along. Our show is a little bit different than most shows. We don't just review it. Of course, we're going to talk storyline and all that, like like most people. But we're going to also talk about the how and the why, and more importantly, how they actually put it all together. The the behind-the-scenes aspects of it. And there's a lot of cool stuff going on here. So without further ado, before we kick into any of it, we have to give our overall impressions of this movie. Dimitri, what did you think? Hey, well, you know, you brought up something that was really interesting, and I think it's one of the more interesting aspects of this movie, is that it isn't a direct continuation of the first one. Uh, this is a completely different movie, uh, in, in, in se- even in its set of tone. Mm-hmm. The first one was, you know, really downer in a sense right it it it, it had it, yeah it was just very deep and heavy it's Denis Villeneuve's director we have a different director this time and I and think that a cinematographer shows, yeah it, much different yeah movies still look good though it did. I mean listen, it did. this isn't a Deacons movie but it's still like it still had those landscapes western type landscapes which we'll get into when we talk about Taylor Sheridan but I like the fact that they're making standalone movies. Uh, and I like that this was different. This one was uh, is a little bit more predicated, well, it's predicated more on action than mm-hmm. it is on mood. I felt the first Sicario was very heavily predicated on its mood, right? This one, there's far more suspense. Uh, and re- there are a lot more action set piece shootouts than mm-hmm. the first one had. With that said, you know, it, it, it was... I wasn't a big fan of the first Sicario. I understood why people liked it. Got it. Uh, I, I wasn't necessarily there with them. Uh, this movie, I felt... It was okay as well. Mm-hmm. I felt its third act for me is where it, it, it suffered the most. Um, and, and I was like, where's this going? And why? And then there is a... You know, there is a... A believability factor. There's something that happens that, you know, we'll talk about it to to to, to the Sicario, and it was weird because I felt too for a movie that Sicario, there wasn't a lot of Sicario doing the Sicario things that I had hoped would happen in this movie. Again, Josh Brolin has is having this amazing year. 
Like, yeah. right? I mean, think he about it. He is on this. a roll. And just within, like, such a three to four months. And, and, but such a role where uh, I thought he was my one of my favorite characters in Deadpool 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, he plays Thanos, obviously. He's in this wonderful, underappreciated movie called um, Only the Brave. Mm-hmm. Uh, about these firefighters, these fourth firefighters. And he's amazing. And he's been very good in each of these roles. And again, he turns out another top-notch performance here. I mean... This guy is not phoning in a performance, and I give him all the credit in the world. He's having a really fantastic, I think, year. I hope it keeps rolling for him. Benicio Del Toro is always fun uh, to look up on screen, uh, especially coming off of uh, uh, DJ, Don't Join. You know, mm-hmm. There was no lisp going on here as the Sicario. Uh, so, yeah, I really enjoyed the cast. Uh, we're going to have a cast member in a little bit later today. That's they- right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We will be doing a separate bonus interview for this movie, so yeah, stay tuned for that. This. So very much looking forward to that. Um, for me now, too, for me, one of the highlights is this Isabella Moner, who was in uh, Transformers The Last Night. And I really enjoyed watching her in this and that movie. This movie, I thought, this girl was fantastic. Is as Isabel Reyes. She was almost like as good or as captivating as that little girl that was in Logan. And I really feel that this Isabella Moner, she has a future ahead of her. I think, you know, when you can, when you can stand toe to toe with the likes of a Benicio del Toro, you know, and 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 the subject matter more so like, you know, I I think there's a lot of great child actors, but to do it with this subject matter and Logan was, of similar, you know, it was an R-rated movie. Obviously, it's superhero movie, so slightly different in that sense. But, but nitty gritty, mm-hmm. both, yeah, very nitty gritty. And she was fantastic every time this 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 girl was on screen. Just captivated. She was that good. She brought an intensity and yet a sympathy as well. Uh, so to me, she was a real standout uh, in this movie. So all in all, uh, the movie is very tense. It is very rated R. You know, Phil, when I saw this movie, there was there were parents that took kid couldn't have been older than twelve. Like, what terrible, you right? I mean, this is a violent movie. I would say even more violent than the previous uh, installment. It's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see where they go, uh, especially after how this one ends, which we'll talk about the ending. I'm sure I wasn't a big fan of, but uh, all in all, it was it was an enjoyable um, it was it was an enjoyable movie. It's very topical, which we'll go into that too. Well, I was on Meet the Movie Press earlier today, right? And we we talked about that and about whether or not that has helped grosses or detracted from the grosses because it is very topical for today. I'm not entirely sure that was intentional, being that it was written some years ago. Um, so we'll get into that too. Well, I think it's very fascinating. It's interesting. You can always, like 
no different than movies from, let's say, like even 1940, right? There's some movies that you can watch today and you can be like, that's so topical. Well, there's certain things that, that are timeless. Uh, and especially when it comes to sort of culture, perhaps racism and perhaps mm-hmm. gender biases and all. Those, these are subjects that unfortunately still exist <laughs> much. You know, we've made slight progress, but... Certainly, uh, things aren't uh, all well and good. But the movie, this movie, and again, Sony, you couldn't have known. It's one of those coincidences, those movie release coincidences. You couldn't have known that, you know, uh, border wall or border crossing would be the flashpoint topic in the news when the movie, when this movie came out. Because that's a major part of what this movie is about. So, like, if you're Sony, you're like, uh, at that point, you just got to roll with it and see, you know, and let the cards fall where they may. So it's just very interesting. And you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. What's topical yesteryear can still be discussed today and bring into a new light. Well, I'm to me, <clears throat> what I... What I appreciate most is the writer Taylor Sheridan. I think he's really making a name for himself. I loved Hell or High Water. Uh, I think, you know, he's doing modern westerns. When you look at, like, Justified, which was on FX, that was a modern western-style TV mm-hmm. show. I thought it was wonderful. And I think he's bringing it back to cinema. You know, and I don't, I don't need the old gunslingers, but I like this very slower-paced, very gruesome style of action and appreciate it and and i think he he's got something to say uh i may not always agree with it it may you know but but nonetheless there's something there and one of the things i appreciate is that he doesn't make it easy yeah no and i couldn't agree with you more about this uh, uh is it tyler or taylor I think taylor. It's taylor sheridan right that hell or high water was one of my favorite movies of last year justified Justifiably so is a favorite. It's a, it's a it was a fantastic show. Um, By the way, it had nothing a, to do with that show, but, but, but just no, a but point I'm just of comparison. Agree, yeah, and, and you're right that this this one to me is more of a western than the first Sicario. This one, and again, I think his writing it works with whatever director he's you know like the director here really understood uh stefano somila somila really understood taylor's like what he was trying to accomplish as far as the world of westerns right and there are shots in this movie that look like they come from movies like the searchers right and the landscape and the way that the, the story goes moves along it moves along like like a, like a western good guys bad guys kind of thing but he gets it as a writer, and you're right. Whether you agree or disagree, um, he's, he can be very nitty-gritty, but he's always, he's always personal in a way. He has a personal element, and I think that's, that is what works. That's what worked in Sicario, Hell or High Water, and in this movie. By getting to know these characters, he gives them a personality that, as an audience, you can sympathize with or really detest. But he's great at setting up a good character. And even though, like, Sicario can be a bad guy, you can root for him, too. And that's what I, that's where his writing really shines, is making it personal for the audience. Like well, that. You know, 
any other movie I could see, you, you've got your main characters, you, you've got Brawlin, you've got Del Toro, and then, of course, the girl. Then you have kind of, you, you expand the circle a little bit out to the U.S. government. Um, and, you know, then you have the kid and, and, you know, that side of the cartel. But the fact that at no point in the movie do we ever go to Reyes, the father, and get his point of perspective, like, no matter what it takes, get my daughter, or anything of right. that nature, or, or that, you know, we don't have a viewpoint into our, our own Congress or, or whatever saying, like, this is a freaking disaster. Shut this down now. Right. We're very much secluded in that way. And um, to me, like, it is a very much heartbreaking story of there's the great phone call between them in the, in the middle where he's like, listen, you know, we're not going to pick you up. And he's like, you got to do what you got to do. Right. And they know, like, they, they, under, they have this unspoken friendship but they understand that, like their their job comes before their humanity. Job and or duty yeah. comes before, right? Because is it the job or is it the duty to the job? That phone conversation that you talked about too. I agree. I mean, you you don't get to see this a lot in movies, um, and I think it only works because of. The, the performers, the actors, really elevated the writing. They really made it shine. So you're paying attention. And the beauty of it all is they, pro- they, they probably weren't even in the same vicinity yeah. of one another doing it, right? And they pull it off. You understand. And, and the way Josh Brolin performed that scene, too, you get it, man. Like He does not want his... He doesn't want to sell his friend down the road. He doesn't want to... He doesn't want this to happen. And and then Benicio Alejandro on the other side is like, I understand. You know, it's like no hard feelings. I get it. But at the same time, he's like, but I'm going to make it work for it kind of thing. Um, it was one of the highlights of the movie for me and really showed the acting chops of the two very fine actors. Well, it also does help. This is their fifth movie together. So, you know, they have they have a good rapport. They and, do. I, and I'm sure that helps. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that I thought worked so well, I, you know, I think it could have been slightly longer as far as his decision, but at the end when he, you could see his face, Brawlin's face, I'm talking about, uh, not reacting and almost wanting a tear because like they confirmed the kill, quote unquote, um, I'm being loose because of course it's not an actual confirmed kill, but Alejandro is, is down and, you know, now they have to take out the rest of the cartel. And even just the decision to take Reyes, because he knows, like, listen, okay, I've, I've screwed over my friend, or however he wanted to term him, so at least I'm going to honor what he was trying to do and save this girl. Because right. at the end of the day, she had no part in any of this. Right. Yeah. And I would go as far as to say that there was a friendship there. There was a loyalty there. They each... They each understood one another, and that meant for the rapport. I mean, you wouldn't you you wouldn't tell a friend, "Hey, I'm in your living room right now. Don't fucking shoot me. Leave a note <laughs> in your door, right?" Yeah. I mean, that was a really funny scene. And the way that that scene was set up, you're like, "Ooh, all right, something something's gonna go down." And what ends with the post-it note, you're like, it let go of the tension. You're able to laugh. Friends would do that. And there is a mutual respect for the job that each one of them has. And they understand the role that they have to play. And they understand when somebody says, you can get dirty on this, 
who he immediately goes to because he knows he can get the job done, but he also is trustworthy. So I do think that there was like a friendship there. Absolutely. Uh, I 100% agree. And, you know, you could look at it partly that he's exploiting, in a sense, his pain. Mm-hmm. And to a degree, he is. But the fact that Alejandro never, out of spite, does the unthinkable because he knows the pain of killing someone's child. Right. And he could have very easily done that. So, in an odd sense, he's a better man than Reyes. Well, yeah. It, but, you know. Here's where I was a little here's where this is a gray area of the movie for me because the end one of the final moments of the of the early of the first Sicario he does wipe out a family mm-hmm. like at their dinner table outside kids if I'm correct right I mean he wipes out the wife the kids, and then he and he wa- and he makes the guy watch. And then Steven, he you're the in guy. the booth. You recently just watched this. You want to fact check for us? Sorry, what? Uh, does... The end of Sicario. Doesn't Alejandro Sicario? Doesn't he kill the entire family at the end of that movie at the dinner table? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and there yeah, were he, kids. Uh, the the dad begs him. Uh, he says, "Not in front of my son," and he pulls out his gun, just shoots everyone at the table except him. Yeah. And then while he lets him stew in his own little devices for a bit, then he shoots him. Yeah. So, you know, Ray is, is his... his Maybe uh, he grew as a person. Well, it does say he found a humanity. And that's one of the things, too, uh, in great Westerns, uh, that journey about finding a humanity. Uh, the Searchers is a good example. Um, but, you know, not that I expected him to, to, to kill Isabella. Um but again, it was one of those things. It's like in the last movie, he had no compunction, like killing kids. And this is the guy you're going after. Spending the time with Isabella, and, and you're right, he understood. She was just born into this, and she still like has to fight. When we are introduced to that character, she's in a fight in school, right? Mm-hmm. So I just think that, yeah, I've she was also going to be a means to the end. Like she was going to get him back. Cause well, I think that that was a great conversation too, between I know who you are and yeah. things. So go ahead. That, that, well, that's what, that's what surprised me the most. I, maybe because I've seen rush hour so many times that <laughs> where, where the little girl there is more of a pawn and she's in the background. Um, and you know, this could lead us down a different way. And so I don't want that. But as far as the trailer, it gave a lot away. Mm. As in, and in particular, uh, when they get ambushed by uh, the Mexican army, let's right. say. Uh, I thought the way it was tracking in the moment, and because I knew the trailer, my mind started to piece wrongly things together. I thought she was the one piecing these things together and was going to somehow notify somebody because she's like, wait, you were... You're not you. You were DEA. Now you're this. What's going on here? And I thought she was very clever to pick that up. And I thought, you know, she would get it back to her dad somehow, and it would just blow up in America's face somehow. Right. Uh, still does, but just not in the way that I thought. Not in the way that we thought. But she was a very precocious. She is a very intelligent girl. She she's observant is a, is a really uh, good way to describe that character. Uh, and again, the way that she was played. Uh, she was she's she's very brilliant. I think that she she carries that movie and she does so 
And she's the one that helps elevate that relationship. And you need a strong actress of that age because you, you have to see the humanity come through. You just can't have a cold-hearted killer all of a sudden, like, snap his fingers and, oh, okay, I feel bad. There has to be a reason why. And I think it was because of the way that that character, Isabel, was played. That Because if the audience can buy into it, then you understand why Sicario can buy into it, too. Yeah, and what was nice is that he wasn't overly bonded with her. Like, it, it was mainly through his action. At, he only told her what he wanted to say, which right. was very little. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they didn't have, like, a whole heartfelt moment uh, or anything like that. And just even the way he finds her after she runs away from that initial standoff with, with right. the Mexican army, he... He just shoots. With right. no, he knows he's going to kill the person he's aiming at, but nonetheless, just there's collateral blood, if nothing else. And she's like, what the hell? <laughs> right. But the other thing, too, is that, in a sense, she develops, by piecing things together, she comes to understand Alejandro in a way that maybe Alejandro doesn't understand himself, and she bonds to him as well. And... She does gain a fondness for him, let's just say, you know, and and I do believe that when he got shot, like she, that was painful for her, uh, the uh-huh. entire scene. I, and, and, and I bought that and I, and I believed that 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 relationship was not forced on the audience. I didn't find that it was cliche. I felt that it really worked and probably one of the strengths of the movie. Some people I know disagree. They feel like, what the hell, when the hell did the Sicario movie become a babysitting movie? But I felt it was a little bit more than just a babysitting movie. I really felt that the emotion was uh, was earned. Absolutely. Yeah, I would, I would not call this a babysitting movie mm-hmm. in any sense of the word. I think he, you know, number one, it was his task to keep her alive and, and eventually... There, there, there is that humanity as we talked about, both in terms of the friendship, but now both in terms of her. Right. Um, I do want to shift gears to yeah. one of the bigger storylines that, you know, is kind of being set up but doesn't come to fruition until much, much later. Is is our our friend who's an American, but now he's the cousin, hmm. and he's going to help now transport people because he knows the river, um, and as they tell him. Entice him. You'll make more money than your father than your does father. in one year. Right. And you know, Miguel. You, Miguel. And it's interesting. Even that uh, the woman, when they finally do cross the border, as she says, like, "Show me a job that pays more, and I'll take it." Uh, you know, I think. I mean, she was an American. She was an American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. So you can understand where he's coming from, but. Uh, you know, this was a sort of a slow burn in terms of payoff, and then the way it ends, I think you're talking, you know, you were hinting at the ending. Uh, yeah, that was the most surprising aspect of it for me. Yeah, you know, uh, Elijah Rodriguez plays uh, Miguel, and, uh, you know, I felt for me that character, you know, I, I again, I, I don't like, to, it, it was... It was sort of a weak character for me. I don't. I don't. I don't. Uh, I always blame a director and/or casting when you're putting somebody in a, somebody that young in a situation like this because this is a heavy movie, and I just wasn't buying. I wasn't 
buying his toughness even when he wasn't tough and he was pretending to be tough and then he becomes tough and he does this. I, I wasn't buying his arc and I'm not sure if like the director was just getting the best out of the kid. Uh, I'm not saying that the kid is bad. Uh, he has opportunity. Um, but when he shows up at the end of the movie and he's all tatted up and he's got his hair slicked back, I didn't buy it. I just did not buy it. Well, I so, laughed. So in that so. sense, like when he jumps off the truck, right? Uh, I bought it as I'm done with this life. Yeah, I'm Me done. Too. Like you know what? I did this. I'm out. Whereas now with the ending, it reads he's just saving his own neck, but he's going to join the next person. Like he's an opportunist. Sure. But he was, yeah, he's still... But I don't buy him as an opportunity. Yeah, you're right. I don't buy him as that. I didn't buy the character as that. I didn't buy him as that. And I didn't buy the Sicario because he ultimately is the kid that pulls the trigger where we believe that Sicario is down or dead. And, you know, when Sicario hunts him out, uh, what was it, a year later? Uh, I forget what Three months. Was it three months? It was some, some months after, maybe not a year Oh, he goes, oh, so you want to be a Sicario? I was like, hmm, really? Is he this there is... to beat the shit out of him? That's what I thought. Like, so, like basically it's saying, so you, you think you can be a Sicario, you that little piece you of took... shit? Okay. I thought, but then the way he closes, well, even just the door close indicates like, okay, you little piece of shit, you're not getting out of this damn room. I'm not, I, there's going to be no weapons. Let's go. You want you think you're a tough guy, motherfucker? That's the way I read it. And I know I just dropped it, but, but this is Cario, so I'm just going to go with it. And see, that's how I would have liked to have taken that scene. That would have been bold. Like, okay. But I didn't read it that way only because of the way Alejandro in that line was delivered. I actually took it as, so you want to be a Sicario? Okay, I'm going to train you. And the door's shut, and I'm like, do I want that movie? <laughs> do I want to see? I go, no, I like, your, I like your interpretation of the ending better. I wish I had walked away out of the theater, in fact, with that interpretation of the ending. Mm-hmm. That's curious. I didn't even well, I, I didn't I, think, I think of it your sentiment. Way. I get your sentiment, but the, the way the music, and we opened up with that very, <laughs> you know, and, and it's got that buildup, and I think... Our Sicario is so meticulous, he's not going to show anger. And in a sense, you know, it's like an animal toying with his, with his prey. It's like, okay, all right, let's, let's have some fun. Hmm. I, I, like your, I like your interpretation better than my interpretation. <laughs> I will say that. Hey, and I, I admit my interpretation is not always uh, accurate and it doesn't fit with a lot of other people, but I enjoy yours a lot more. I think it fits into it. But, you know, I wanted to talk about, too, about the Sicario character. Um, look, we already know that Benicio Del Toro plays him great, right? But I felt he was more Sicario-ish, this assassin in the first movie, right? So when his hands were, when he was, like, up against the wall, I thought the, I thought he was going to do something. It's like, you got these kids, basically, like these, these, these wannabe gangster kids, and I'm like, he can't just take these these brats out like what 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 like i i just felt since this movie too was a little bit more was more predicated on the action i just thought something well his goal at that point was to keep her safe 
Right. Which, you know, when you talk about the baby singing movie, maybe that's why people react to it in that way. Because that she's the primary objective for him. Sure. And he knows if he does anything, her she life could get hurt. Yeah. Okay. And that's not what he wants. Right. But so that's the way I interpreted it. Okay. Um, I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. It's just the way I read it. Yeah, I just was like, why isn't he doing anything? Like, we know, especially when some of those people left the bus. I'm like, going, I mean, he he snuck on. Again, I'm going to the end of the first Sicario. The way he took out security guards and other people before he got into the family. I'm like, he was doing some pretty, like, he was doing some pretty heavy, like, combat yeah. shit. That I was like, this guy's trained. He knows what he's doing. Well, it could have been a better mental exercise. Because I think physically yeah, yeah. he knew he was beat, but they were kind of playing this mind game. Sure. And it, it just kind of feels like he lost the mind game. Yeah. Which I have a hard time believing that that character, especially how he was built up in the first movie. Uh, Even in this one, like he, you know? Yeah. Like it, it, they, they made a very strong point to make these... Yeah, these two movies so far be standalone. And I think oh yeah, it works as a standalone. Like even without the first one, Absolutely. you get his mm-hmm. character. Yeah, it's a great point because you don't need. It was like the, none of the characters needed reintroduction, so to speak. Like if you had you not seen the first one, and you see this one, you already get the bond there, and you already know government. He's an assassin. He's, and you get his cockiness, too. Absolutely. Uh, Brawlin says one of his favorite parts is, you know, in the, in the, in when he's um, in the Middle East, he's just wearing flip-flops. Right. And it just shows this arrogance that he loves. Yeah. That he, he knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows exactly how he's going to do it. Yeah. And he doesn't need to worry about anything else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just, just the way it plays out is they know 100% what they're getting into. Um, to that point, you know, Emily Blunt, they very much took her out of the equation, not because she's a bad actress, but because she represented too much of a moral compass. Absolutely. That they didn't want. Which oh, I found absolutely. interesting. Absolutely. And that moral compass sort of gets shot at the end of the first Sicario. It's like, well, you can have your moral compass, but I'll kill you, <laughs> is more or less you know, what, what happens there. You know, the, this movie could have benefited, I think, having a strong female presence. I mean, Emily Blunt is a fantastic actress. Uh, this one really, you know, Catherine Keener is great, but she's not in the movie a lot. And there isn't a woman who's part of his team, Rowan's team there. Um, I don't know. It, it might have benefited a little bit to, to to add something. And again, I understand why Emily Blunt's not in this char- in this movie. Her character's not even mentioned. It's because it is a standalone. You know, mm-hmm. once you once you make that tie, right, then it becomes that kind of a sequel where somebody who may not have seen that they're gonna who the hell is that? Why are they spending so much time talking about this person? They really don't talk about mm-hmm. her at all. And We're just into to, the yeah. story now. So, and 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 Dylan Sheridan do, you know, he talks about. Uh, it's one of the things that you get too, is that he talks about this being, well, it, it is a modern. He's a modern Western voice, and and it, now are people craving this? I think when you do it in such a way where you sort of disguise the movie. As like it's a western, but it's not a western. Like 
that's when it works. Because people, if you make a flat-out Western, as much as I love them, some people don't gravitate towards them. But I think he has that modern day. And Hell or High Water is perfect. I think perfect about that. But, you know, he also has a finger on the pulse of this, this changing American landscape that's become highly topical today. And it's not about even just the legalization of drugs. It's about how these drugs and how terrorists can come into the country. And he does it in such a way that he doesn't even really take a political side. Well, his side, I mean, as far as Westerns, the side has always been that America's built completely on violence. So it doesn't matter drugs or anything else. You know, that's just the MacGuffin. True. Uh, But... Western, the whole idea of Westerns that it showcases us as a very violent nation. Yes. And this, the you, you, as far as, oh, we know exactly what's going on here. Uh, you know, it's, uh, terrorists were being smuggled into Mexico, then right. they were going up here, then they bombed Kansas. Oh, no, it just turned out to be Kansas people. You know what? Shut this whole thing down. We got to bury this. Mm-hmm. We're moving on. It's like, it's, it's dark crap. Yeah, and... and, and um Let's talk about the. It's. I think it's good to talk about the beginning because the beginning sets up these things that initially don't seem connected. You go to movies as much as we do. You go, okay, why are we being shown this? Like, why are we being shown this at the border? Then this at a a, a box, a big box store. Uh, that bombing, and then and then the taking out. Of uh, to to uh, extract the information, the information, and it was very interesting how each scene was done very differently. They each um, very intense, but they were shot differently. Almost like had, short films, yeah. In a way. They each had, yeah. Well, they each had a beginning, <laughs> a middle, and an end. They each had uh, a different atmosphere. Like mm-hmm. one's a, a store, like a, a, a popular Costco-ish kind of store. The other one's at the border. Like, why is this guy running away? And the, this string ties in through, and then, you know, the movie makes no bones about saying terrorists are coming through via our borders. Like, these people are being walked in, and they're terrorists right. causing terror in our country. And that is the part that I'm talking about. Like, topical today. What I loved is the movie was took that turn and said, no, they didn't come from our country, morons. They were home, they're homegrown. Yeah. <laughs> like, now, what the reason was is why they blew up that box store, I don't know. But it's, it's a very, but it really sparks, it ignites our plot as to where we're going. And when we turn out to be wrong in the assessment, well, who really admits that, right? But this government thing has to shut down because they don't want it to get back to anybody about what we've already set in motion by setting up a cartel drug war in Mexico. So that is where Taylor Sheridan's writing really works, to put all these pieces together and do it in a way you go, okay, this makes sense. And when that news comes down, you just go, oh shit, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, what's gonna happen? And whose side uh, am I on? <laughs> and what's great is that you don't go to that hierarchy of of the decision making, right? Because at the end of the day, it is, you know, uh, you can 
obviously try to think of all the play- people involved, but it, you know, in a sense, a lot of people will talk about it. You distance yourself from that idea so you can make right. the best decision possible. Yes, it's utilitarianism um, more so than anything else, but now it affects Alejandro and Matt, and right. certainly Isabel. Yeah. And they're like, uh, yeah, okay, but you're not really understanding. Yeah, you're not getting who this affects. Like, you're, you, not only did you set this in motion and you told me to get dirty, which I did, now I've got people, now i got to cut ties with people that helped us, yeah. <laughs> that we, like, what, oh, okay, just give her back. <laughs> and <laughs> Nothing you will know, happen. Not that he was, like, pushy about it, but in their initial conversation, uh, Braun's character, Matt, he does say, like, you know what I do, right? Yeah. And to your point, he says outright, yeah, we want, we want to get this dirty. Yeah. It's like, oh, as long as you know what that means. Right. Because I'm going to get dirty. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, and I think they were happy up until a certain point. Like, mm-hmm. every, everyone always wants to, yeah, no, that's what I want you for. That's what I want, yeah. That's until it takes the slightest dip. He, he gave them, like, like a, a limitless budget. Great scene when they're in the restaurant. When he's in the restaurant with that guy to, to work out, like, he needs planes, he needs this. And he goes, well, how much? He goes, well, let's just say you'll be able to buy that hockey team you've been <laughs> Like that was really, I really, enjoy, I like that scene about how he's putting everything together. So, um, you know, we were talking about, too, about how this movie looks, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the one thing is, it is predicated on action, but he did, well, there was one scene, I, 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 one scene in particular um, was the, the drive uh, through the desert, and there was the ambush or the double cross. The return to Mexico. The return to Mexico. And doing it through the windblown sand where you can't see. And then we talked, you and I, before we went on air, we were talking about the music mm-hmm. and how it really heightens the tension. That scene was done like really well. I knew something was going to happen. I knew somebody was going to double cross somebody or something, but it was leading up to it. It well, it's uninterrupted. Well. There's there's the it's music. True. That's a yep. layer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have obviously great <clears throat> acting, which we've talked about. But but then um, as kind of a lot of these shots were inside the Humvee. This is one in particular, and the, uh, the quote goes: "Technically, it created a lot of problems because you can't shoot with multiple cameras, and you're going to have a battle around." you that needs to be seen through the windows and you need to move the camera 300 degrees with long tracking shots so you can get an idea of the battle but we learn and discover a lot more about her so um when he's when when they're talking about this and the way you're describing the scene a lot of it goes uninterrupted yeah and that's what creates the tension because you know you know that a cut is a respite for an audience one way or the other uh, and and in that moment, you don't get that. Yeah, and and, and even Brolin's character says, "I hate when we leave paved roads," like, mm. or something to that effect. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so and and then you know you had the DP Darius Wolski, uh, and this guy's done Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He did The Martian as well. It's because of the way that that was lit, the the effect of the sand. The blinding, like the, your, your your vision gets, you know, it, it goes from miles to like feet of visibility. Um, and you're right. And with the music, it was just really well. It was a really very good um, 
suspenseful, extremely suspenseful theme uh, or, or part of the movie. So I think they built up the suspense. There were suspenseful scenes in the first Sicario, and you know, like I said, the cinematographer there was just fantastic. Denis Villeneuve is a really good director, uh, but this one, the suspense was a little different. It, it really, it really hung on. Like a lot, it draws you. Like, what is going to happen? What has come on? Happened already? I can't see. Right, but, and even agree? within that scene, everything <clears throat> kind of quiets down. The the, the sand does settle, right. and they make, make it a very big point of like, hey, no, we're okay. We're we're we're, we're on your side. Like, right. we are the Mexican army. We're sorry. And not that they let their guard down, but they they're very cautious. Boom, a shot's taken, and it's like, oh, you lied. Done. 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 Yeah. Um, yeah, and part of the thing is, there's no franticness, not, not from the camera, not from the music, not from the editing, and not even from the characters. Like when the girl runs away, they're not panicked. They're like, "Okay, listen, no, 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 you guys go. I'll handle this." And he's not like rushing after her. Like, gotta grab my stuff. Gotta go. It's like I'll find her. Well, not a big deal. And to that point, Josh Brolin. His character has a great line where he basically, like, he just says, new mission, and they're like, okay, new mission. And, you know, it's to go get the girl. Um, and, and you're right. It wasn't like there was this big rush, but it's like, where the hell did she go? And I was then going to the girl, where the hell are you going? <laughs> so, um, but it was, it was interesting that it was Alejandro who's going to go out and go get her. And is he going to go get her? Is that going to be his opportunity? But I still think that, in a sense, that he needed her to 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 get to Reyes. Who's, Reyes was his his white whale, um, so to speak. But then when he comes across uh, the farmer, that was you know. And again, whether you loved it or hated it, I actually thought again we saw a side of Alejandro that you don't normally see. Uh, and 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 you know why. Yeah, it's like, how do you know how to sign? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, it's a very strong connection because even, even from from the farmer's perspective, you see this guy with a gun. You you've chosen to live in the middle of nowhere for a reason, whatever that reason may be. <laughs> it's not, right, and you know, there, there's this person. And all of a sudden, they're signing and they're communicating, and it's very gentle. Yeah. Uh, it, it 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 brings a very strong connection. Yes, it, it really does. And you're right. You lived out there, but you live out there for a reason. But he's still like, I know her. I I know like who you are. Like he was able. He too was able to through observation piece things together. Um, so I. It, it, but the scene was very gentle in the way in which he was signing. And at first it was like, hey hey, hold on, let me explain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like the way that that conversation evolved and how they ended up from being outside into going inside the house. And it could have very much played it like he's just, the, the farmer's just doing this to kind of stay alive. But, right. And there's a part of him that could be mm-hmm. doing that, but he's also, you know, they do care for them more than they needed to. Right. Yeah. And, and speaking to that, too, uh, producer Basil uh, Iwanek, uh said of Del Toro, that he studied that script like incessantly and he would continue to scrutinize it every night during filming he's thinking about this movie 24/7 and not just his character he was talking about 
uh, Del Toro further. He says he's thinking about the entire movie and he wants it to feel real and he wants it to feel emotional and he wants that to work. And sometimes when you have a movie like this, it's hard to make, to, to, to balance the emotion and the feel up into the, the, the heavy action. But I think Benicio does it really well. Uh, and then executive producer Erica Lee goes on and she believes that Alejandro will always be the soul, which is interesting because he's the assassin. He showed no soul in the first movie. He was prepared to take Emily Blunt's character out. Out, right? And so here, it you know, now, now we have the executive producer saying he's always going to be the soul of these movies and he's the heart that beats within. Uh, he is the protagonist and antagonist. At, at the same time, which is, you know, well, she goes on and says, that's non-traditional. I agree. Uh, it's a very interesting character. I'm going to be curious to see if and how he evolves. Well, you, you know, uh, when, you, when, you, when we talk about the script and him studying it, I am quite impressed simply for the fact that the script overall had dialogue and then as far a couple of action beats from what I gathered. Sure. Uh, you know, I have not actually seen the script itself, but, but I'd be very curious to know. You know, how you kind of, I think studying is more, translates more to interpreting the script. Right. You know, and, and giving it your own flair. And obviously he, he quite well did that. Right. Uh, I agree. And, but, and then on the flip side, you got Matt played by Josh Brolin. And we see he's become a little bit darker. But another great line that he had is when he's talking to Keener, Catherine Keener, who plays his superior. And she's pulling the plug and says, you got to take this guy down, which I didn't quite understand, like, why. And he, too, was trying to make the argument, why? Like, it makes no sense. Like, he's not going to. He was vouching for him. But when she says, I'm going to set up a team to do it, he's like, no, I'll do it. Because if you fail, if your team fails, he's going to come back and kill you. <laughs> and I was like... Yep. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> it was. It was really great the way he delivered that line, and it also put more weight on him. Like, yeah, I get it. How am I? You could see he's thinking behind the eyes, going, "How? How can I maybe get around this?" Mm-hmm. And because did you actually? Like, I was thinking, like, if this was going through, he's gonna figure out a way. I didn't yeah. think he was actually gonna put him down. I didn't, sense. but I didn't either. But he was never to. given a choice. True. In, and I, I don't mean like not by not not by um, Catherine's character, but more so by the time they got to them, they were already in possession by the cartel. Right. And so, you know, whatever plan he he wanted to use was out the window. Right. You know, he had to react instead of act. Yeah. And that that, that was. Um, that was the deciding factor. Speaking of kind of as you know, as we're talking about sequencing things, um, Matthew Newman, who is the editor on this, yeah, he says everything was about hiding things and about secrets. You never knew what was really happening. The first part of the film is very anonymous, and it's the first time that you see a face on screen. Uh, and then, uh, but the scene had to feel like you were in the same story, even though you didn't know what the story was. This goes back to. You know, what you were talking right. about, the three scenes. Uh, but the version we go was the best that Brawling did, his humor and his righteous anger um, in the kind of beginning. Like, there, you know, there's – a movie like this has to have great pacing, and I think that's what they obviously talked about. 
um, quite well and, and played with. Oh, absolutely. This definitely was paced differently than the first one. Again, makes it a far different movie, uh, tonally, pacing-wise. I mean, this is a two-hour... Two-hour-ish, two hour yeah. plus change, a sure. couple minutes. It goes by pretty quickly. Like, there's, there's enough of those action and suspense scenes that carry it through that even when you have a lull, you're still getting over it, so to speak. Uh, and then you're engaged as to what's going on. So even the downtime, when we're at the farm, which is downtime, we've just left behind the carnage and the wreckage on that road. We're in Mexico. We're lost. It's welcome downtime. Uh, and it propels the story. So, yeah, I felt that the pacing in this movie was, was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, spot on. I didn't, feel, I didn't feel it dragged at all. Yeah, and uh, we've been talking about the music in various forms. Um, this time again, Johan Johansson did the score. Uh, however, tragic because the movie is dedicated to him because he, right. he deceased before it ever came out. Um, so quite sad. I mean, he's he's done a lot of great movies. Uh, he's worked with uh, Danny Villeneuve on, on a couple of them, in fact. Uh, two. And two that we've talked about here, Sicario and... Um, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Uh, no, not Blade Runner. The Arrival. The Arrival. The Arrival. Right. And but he also did Blade Runner. I thought that was Hans Zimmer hmm. on Blade Runner 2049. Hmm. I thought he passed. But I know he did The Arrival. And where his strengths come in, I think, as a composer, is he's able to set a tone. We've always talked about this. You can set a tone and you can help build suspense. And this is where the teamwork comes in. Yes, you have a great director who has the vision of how this scene, like think of that scene, driving driving those Humvees through that mm-hmm. desert, right? So you got the director, you have your cinematographer, you have your editor, how are we going to put this together? And the music at this shouldn't overpower what's being taking place on the big screen, but it should heighten the tension. Even the beginning of the movie, when we don't really know where we are. We're at the border. Why am I at a Costco? Why am I over here? How are these things? But each, that first 15, 20 minutes of that movie are very tense. And in, and in major part because the music ramps up that tenseness. As the music itself ramps up with that sound. So, yeah, he was very good. He's, uh, yeah, he'll be missed. He will. He will. Unfortunately, a tragic, tragic death, um, as I understand it, due to drugs. <clears throat> so, unfortunately, there's a PSA in that. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is like I will watch, listen to his score, enhance a movie, but they're not the kind of scores that I would sit down with a fine scotch <laughs> and a cigar to listen to to relax. <laughs> this is not the kind of movie score. I think it's I'm the like, kind of score know. that if, if, <laughs> if Dimitri had an interrogation room, this is the score that he would play. Quite literally, Endlessly. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but but very good score. Uh, Del Toro describes it as, when I first heard the score, I, f- I felt I was hungry. Like, wow, what a clever move. Yeah. It's a good way to describe <laughs> it. Uh, I know, I'm not sure how you interpret hungry, but. <laughs> He's Benicio. <laughs> you know. He's great. Um, so uh, Let, know, let's talk about ahead. the director, though, because sure. this is uh, this is his first kind of uh, major movie, his first English movie. Um, and I thought, you know, uh, in terms of his style and so forth, I thought he 
pulled off it well. I'm curious yeah. to see what he's going to do sort of next. I mean, he was the gentleman that did the impossible, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, right. The impossible, which again built suspense for a story that we actually already knew. But 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 not only did he film that tidal wave, the tsunami, and then having the family because that's a that's another journey movie as well. A family trying to find themselves and reunite after a major, major natural disaster. And again, here he makes a different movie. He does make, you know, I would like to see this guy film more of a traditional Western. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he did a really good job. And again, Westerns rely not only on the journey and your characters, but your landscape. And he was able to fill that lens with some magnificent landscapes, uh, with, you know, the Mexico desert and all. Yeah, he's a very solid director. I think he did a really good job here, uh, especially building suspense and then having a payoff action scene because they were they were action scenes. They were fight, you know, gunfight action scenes, uh, and he really. Uh, Sometimes in an action movie, if it's just pure action, you're going off adrenaline. Not so much suspense, but he really he drew on that a lot, and I think he handled. I think he balanced and jungled it really well. Absolutely, he's a solid director. He knows he knows how to frame a shot. That he does. That he does. And overall, <clears throat> uh, th- this movie did better than the first movie as far as opening weekend. Nineteen million, uh, better than twelve point one million, which was the, what the first did. So. Uh, I'm glad that people are receiving it, you know, well. And uh, I mean, granted, it's got a 64 in Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't the, the best, you know. But you know, it's it's very interesting. And again, I know that you know, there's just no way you could have predicted what's going on at the border and and immigration and the immigration issues. I'm not gonna. I don't want to make this a political show, but that has to come into play when you're talking about this movie in a sense and and again Taylor Sheridan when he sits down to write the script immigration has been a, is an issue okay the release of this movie it became a flashpoint issue and I, it made me wonder as I was watching it in the theater how people in this day in this particular day and age how they were looking at this movie. Does the controversy, does what's happening in society, the, the social politics of it all, does it hinder the gross? Does it propel the gross? Do people pay attention to what is being said in the movie? Do they make up their own uh, imagine, you know, judgments? Um, because the movie, I think, makes it clear. It's like, oh, we fucked up. <laughs> the movie and does, but I think going into it, you know, just watching it, you could look at it like, oh, it's stereotypical. We're going, you know, Americans fighting the cartel. But it's the border crossing. It's, to me, it was like, to me, it was, holy shit, they're act- actually blaming illegals coming into the country and and bringing terrorists. That's why they kidnapped that guy, because his boat would bring them to Mexico so then then they can cross over into, cross the border into our country. And there are some people who would look at the first 40 minutes of the movie and call it a documentary. 
right? And that's the sad <laughs> thing. But then the movie goes in a different way. But because of what's happening today, it's hard not to think about the situations in the movie. Like if it does that make any sense? Like, it does. Well, if, I think I think it's I think it is quite deliberate, and it is much like the ending. It's not supposed to be easy. Much like this, it's in a sense make up your own mind. Like because you look at okay, uh, obviously some of the people that cross the border, they're going to be good people and good citizens, good. Mm-hmm. and then there's going to be some people who cross over and they're not going to be so good. Um, but at the end of the day, okay, that's good, that's bad, but but then we have us, and we're also not good. There's good sides of us, but we're also bad. Yeah. And, yeah, the bombing, the box they're bombing was all us. And that's what precipitated this. So it was just very interesting. Like, had this movie been released, I don't know, a year ago, or I don't know what the, let's just say a year ago, Right. Um, do you like you're watching the movie and you're like going oh wow okay that's an interesting plot point like that's a movie like you look at it as a movie plot point today you look at it as Jesus Christ this is what's going on maybe like is that where he's drawing his experience like where does he pull this from and I don't know. I think from a gross perspective, yes, it did. It, did. it over-indexed what it was supposed to do. But I wonder as well as if it's kept some people from seeing it and has it kept some reviews from being better? Because maybe a reviewer, albeit they really shouldn't, in a movie like this, because this isn't a documentary, shouldn't be bringing the political slant to the movie well, I think, and just try to watch it as a movie. I think any movie sort of about this, regardless of whether this was prominent, you could argue that then he's trying to make something prominent. There's a lot of movies that do something to bring something to light to a people or a subject matter that isn't necessarily given a voice okay. most of the time. And so, you know, this just kind of serendipitous is the completely wrong word. No, but, it, it was just a bizarre coincidence. Like, yeah. again, you don't I don't think any studio tries to plan the release around the blowing up of a building if your movie has a building that blows up in it. Uh, In fact, many a time, whether it be television or movies, they've either pulled back the release or they've... they've Well, yeah, or they'll they'll pull back the release or pull back the the, the air date of the television series. Um, You know, even even movies like Spider-Man, the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Uh, they had to restructure their whole marketing campaign because of the 9-11 tragedy. You know, he was swinging for, you know, for, for, from the towers and they had to scrub those and, and rechange everything. So, yeah, it's, it's like no movie marketing hopes for that to happen. And I have to figure that they had picked their date maybe a year before, not figuring what the hell's going on. And then this happens I would have to say there there would have to have been some slight concern, maybe even panic, to go. Is this going to help us or harm us? Let's just let's just not even talk about it. Let the review let the reviews say what the reviews are going to say, but we're not going to go out there from a publicity angle and say and make this topical because it already is. So I think they sort of kind of played it right, 
And they're yeah, marketing the got people speak. in. Yep. Let the movie speak for itself. 100% yeah. agree. Uh-huh. Well, they, you know, I think there more than likely will be a sequel. I'd like to see a sequel, but one way or the other, it will be a new director, a, uh, you know, same characters, but new story in essence. Mm-hmm. They are continuing, if they do, an anthology, and, and I appreciate that. So I, I very much would look forward to that. I think these movies are different. Um, not saying they're the world's greatest movies, but I think they they are certainly good movies in a time where there's just so many franchises. And that, I agree. Uh, I, and you know, it's a sequel, so can you call it a franchise? I agree with you 100. percent I mean, it is different. It, it gives something. It's adult fare. Uh, let's make no bones about it. This is adult fare. I mean, when I sorry when I see a 12 year old kid in this movie brought by a parent, it's like, what the hell are you thinking, man? You know, like this isn't. I mean, hey, it's violence has become a lot different than when I was growing up as a kid, but I'm sure the thoughts were still the same. But show a little responsibility. Like, this is a violent movie. Probably the most violent we're going to see this summer. Right, mm-hmm. it's right because everything else, Mission Impossible has its violence, and we see well, action. That's PG thirteen. PG thirteen. But this is a hard R. Um, so, and it does. It was encouraging to see its grosses because that meant I have to assume 17 and plus an older audience was going to this uh, interesting conversation I overheard mm-hmm. to the people next to me. I know we have uh, some limited time, but it was it was it was two couples and one uh, one uh, husband boyfriend. He said, "Oh, I'm a I, I saw the first movie. I really like the first movie. I, I can't. I'm really looking forward to this one. And his wife or girlfriend was like, "Oh no, I'm in it for Benicio. I love my Benicio del Toro. That's why I'm here." <laughs> I was like, "That's great. Like different reasons for wanting to see the movie." And my theater was crowded, and I have a feeling that the sentiment, man, woman, or whatever, was so, sort of similar. Mm-hmm. Saw the first movie. I just love my Benicio del Toro. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let us know in the comments section whether it's the politics of it all, whether uh, the storylines of it all, or just in general what we're talking about. Why you went to go see the movie? Lots to discuss. Um, so by all means, let us let us know. And then, if nothing else, a, a franchise like this or these two movies have kicked off Danny Villanueva's career. In essence, in essence, sure. Because then he went on to do, as we said, I mean, Arrival. Said, he did a couple of other movies prior too, but yeah, no, he's very much so. On behalf of D Movie 1701 for Dimitri, Thank please you. support him there. Please. Yeah. At Serafini TV, who is on vacation. She is not with us today, but feel free to interact with her in, in the downtime. I'm at Phil Sweet Tech. Thank you guys as always. We've got lots to look forward to. Ant Man and the Wasp coming out next week. And if you're curious, we have a whole section, a whole library of past shows. So check those out. We'll Sakari. see you next time for another Anatomy of Movie. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the owners or principals.